Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys today. How's it going? Man, it's always a better day in church when the Ducks went on Saturday. Come on. It's always good to be a Christian. It's always good to be saved. It's always good to be with your brothers and sisters. And it's also good to take vengeance on your enemies, you know, and on the football field. Uh, but we don't, we don't hate, you know, any team or anything other than the Huskies. That's okay. That's in the Bible. You're allowed to do that. But um, just kidding. Man, so good to be with you guys today. You know, it's, uh, I said this during first service, but it's, it's interesting when you can feel uh, moments that the Lord is bringing together onto a particular Sunday where, you know, I didn't coordinate with the team today to pick songs. Uh, we had our sermon series planned out, you know, months in advance. And, and yet today... Uh, even the words of that song that we just sang so perfectly fit together with the message that I have for us today and that I believe God has for us, not just as a church, but also individually. And it's so cool to see how God kind of weaves things together to, to bring moments of encouragement and moments of breakthrough. And I believe today we're going to see a, a true moment of breakthrough. You know, we live in an anxious and worried world. Um, when I look on the news, and I don't even watch the news on purpose, but the news that seeps through my barriers, you know, and gets to me through Twitter or Facebook or whatever, or just hearing about things, and I go, man, things are kind of a mess, and that can cause anxiety, that can cause worry. One of the things I know is that we live in a very anxious, worried, sort of fearful generation in time, and that is not our portion as followers of Jesus. We sang that song in Christ alone, and it talks about when darkness falls, when fear assails, uh, I'm going to stand in the power of Christ. I'm here to tell you today that as a follower of Jesus, uh, your portion is not to be beset with fear, with worry, with anxiety, but you can win, as we're talking about in this series, the mind games. You can actually uh, be be strong, not just in uh, in your faith or in some spiritual religious sense, but you can actually allow the peace of God to rule in both your mind and in your heart. There's a scripture that says, greater is he that is in me that is, than he that is in the world. And there's something about the pressures of life as they come, because we all go through challenges and battles. I know many of you, uh, just by the law of large numbers, somebody's going through a tough battle. There's probably a diagnosis out here in the room today that's pretty scary. There's probably a marriage in crisis. There could be a family in crisis. Uh, whatever might be going on in your life, but I'm here to tell you today, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Uh, It says in the book of Timothy, Paul's talking to his spiritual son, Timothy, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And that that term, sound mind, in the Greek, means a mind like a steel trap. Come on, it means that your brain is sort of off limits, your thought life, the inner part of you is off limits to the things that would assail you. God has not given you fear, but he's given you faith. He's given you a sound mind. Jesus said in John chapter 14, Uh, To his disciples, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. This is a beautiful thing because I think a lot of times as a Christian, I've thought that the peace that I have from the Lord is a matter of truth. And so when fearful things come in or anxiety or worry that I go, well, no, I know the scripture and I'm going to sort of fight back with true words. And yet my inner world, my heart, my emotions were kind of wrecked, right? It's like I'm saying true things, maybe I'm still showing up in church, but if I were to be really honest, I'm not really good. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like my heart, the the inner part of me is not really good. But Jesus says, my peace is not just going to be truth that comes in and and even helps your mind. It's actually going to go from your head even into your heart. It's going to be peace of mind and heart that you can say, I'm good. You know, the the, uh, Hebrew language have a word called shalom, right? And it's peace, but it's not just peace 
Where your circumstances around you are peaceful, it means I have peace, I am peace, there is shalom, there is God's goodness and peace from the inside out, regardless of the circumstances I'm walking through. Jesus goes on, he says, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. This kind of peace does not come from your therapist. Maybe you have a great therapist, praise God. This kind of peace does not come from the prescriptions. Maybe you have the greatest drugs and the best prescriptions and yours is dialed in just perfectly. I'm waiting for that prescription that can make me look like Brad Pitt. They haven't released it yet, so <laughs> fortunately, I just have to keep rolling this way. But you might have the perfect prescriptions. You might have the, the, the perfect job, but I'm just here to tell you right now, even with the best mechanisms that we can come up with in humankind, that does, this kind of peace does not come from the world. This peace comes from Christ alone, as we sing. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gives us some, some very interesting information. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I want you to imagine that there's a tension here. Or there's two poles, and on one side is worry and fear and anxiety. And we're told in the scripture many times, do not worry. Let me just tell you right now, you are not a victim. Worry and fear does not happen to you. It is a choice. Is that Okay. Worry and fear does not happen to you. It's not because of your circumstances. Worry is a response or stress is a response to the pressures that are around us. But the biblical uh, account here is really interesting because on one side we have fear and worry and anxiety and we're told don't do that. Don't, don't go there. Don't worry about uh, anything. Instead, here is our replacement for worry. Pray about everything. And so we see that the antidote the, the uh, cure for worry or the thing that allows us to fight against worry and not let worry dominate us, but rather be stronger than that and allow us to have the peace of God, it comes through this thing called prayer. Now, I grew up in church. I wasn't even allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up, you know, and uh, that was just my upbringing, right? Nobody reacted to that. I thought you were going to be like, oh, but anyways, I grew up hearing about prayer all the time. And I always kind of looked at prayer like spinach. It's probably a good idea, but I'm not that interested, you know? <laughs> Somehow somebody thought they could sell kale by saying it's a superfood. I'm like, does it turn me into Superman? Well, not exactly. Well, then I'm not interested. Because I can, I can still be um, overweight and eat Butterfingers, or I can still be kind of overweight and eat kale. I'm going to go with the Butterfinger. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> They're like, no, it's a superfood. It has antioxidants. I'm like, okay. Anyways, um... Prayer was kind of like that for me. I knew it was a good idea, but it didn't appear to be very tangibly valuable to my life, okay? And so I kind of looked at prayer as something that was a duty. Um, I, I, like, I need to pray because if I don't pray, then I'm not really being a good Christian. And I see other people as I kind of open my eyes in church and look, and they seem to be really into this. But here's what I've come to understand about prayer is prayer is our lifeline and our connectivity to God. Prayer is not something that you master. Prayer is something that you, you, you give yourself to so that you can open yourself up to God and receive from him. And we're told here, worry on one side, pray on, prayer on the other side. We're to not worry about anything, instead to pray about everything. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then once again, we get this incredible promise, which I think is a repetition of what Jesus promised. It says, not maybe, not probably, not, not might happen. It says, then you will experience God's peace, which what? Exceeds anything we can understand. In other words, this peace isn't even going to make sense. 
It's the kind of peace that when somebody gets a diagnosis of a terminal illness or the kind of peace when they lose a family member in a car accident where they say, I am broken and yet I am not lost. I am crushed. I'm, per- I'm, uh, I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned, right? I'm crushed, but I'm not destroyed. Like there's something in the life of a Christian when they're connected to God that even in the midst where everything around you is broken, you're not broken, that you begin to live out what it says in the book of Hebrews that says, We have an unshakable kingdom that even when everything around us is shaken, we have an unshakable kingdom. This in Christ alone. He is our rock. He is our foundation. God's peace is even exceeding anything we can understand. And it says this again, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. In other words, this peace that comes from God, that is our inheritance, that is our portion, that is our prize as followers of Christ is not just peace mentally, it's peace holistically. It's the peace on the inside where you go, man, even if things are wrong, I'm right. Like, I'm okay. That sounds pretty good to me. I don't know about you. And so today we're going to learn how prayer is the key to this, to beating worry and anxiety. Now, in in the ministry of Jesus, um, he was preceded by a man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was prophesied about and he was called to basically prepare the way for the Messiah. And so John the Baptist was kind of like the original Christian rock star. He was out in the wilderness. He was sort of like doing his own thing. He was calling people brood of vipers and cool stuff like that. He wore a camel skin coat. He ate locusts, which are bugs, you know what I mean? Eating bugs, which is cool if you're like Bear Grylls, Survivor Man type thing. And I don't ever want to eat a bug, right? But he, he was, and he was eating honey. And John the Baptist was sort of this raw, kind of like awesome guy. And he's setting up the ministry of Jesus. Now, Jesus' disciples were at least aware of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had his own disciples, his own students or people that were his followers. And so we see in Luke chapter 11, it says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus' disciples were like, well, John's guys, they have something we don't have. And Jesus' disciples also observed something in Jesus that they didn't believe that they had access to. They didn't understand this thing called prayer. Now, just setting the stage here, Jesus' disciples were were, uh, young Jewish men. They had been raised like good Jewish young men in the synagogue. They would have prayed through these religious prayers. They had information. I would say that they actually had peace of the mind that they had God's truth. They knew God is going to come and save us from the Romans and God's going to come and he's going to help us. But there was something about the person of Jesus. And I would even propose to you today, it went beyond the miracles of Jesus, even the message of Jesus. It was like how Jesus was. There was something about Jesus where his disciples went, our prayer doesn't work like your prayer. Come on. Like we have the words, but what, what are we missing? In the same way that you can put a football in my hand and it's not going to do a whole lot for the Oregon Ducks, but you put that football in Bo Nix's hand. Come on, somebody. It's going to do some damage to the opposition. And so they observed something about Jesus and they said, we, we need that. We need this, this prayer thing. Would you, would you give it to us? And Jesus said, okay, let me teach you the moves. First move is this one. It's the hands clasped, eyes to heaven. You have to have the appropriate amount of consternation on your face. No, he doesn't do any of that because it's not a ritual. It's not, it's not the right words per se. He gives them something I think that is magnificent. He says this. 
This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. And I imagine Peter's there like, what, what else? Because this is the whole thing. Now, there's a little bit slightly longer version in the book of Matthew, but I think Jesus probably taught this to them a few times and maybe used slightly different words. But I like this version in Luke because of the Lord's Prayer. This is in the New Living Translation, only 40 words. ESV, some different ones, even less, like 30, 30 words. Now, I like things to be simple, uh, personally. You know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? I'm a few fries short of a Happy Meal. So I like things to be simple. I think in life, many of the most powerful, profound things are simple, not complex. Like the message of the gospel is fairly simple, yet it's so profound and deep. It will take an entire lifetime and an eternity to, to, to glory and, and revel in the wonder of this message, this simple thing. And so Jesus says, let me, let me unlock prayer for you. And he gives them, yes, words. He gives them, yes, a prayer to pray. But I think even beyond this, he gives them a framework for spiritual life and connectivity to God. Something that even in my own practice of praying this prayer now for many years on a daily basis has unlocked a tremendous amount of peace in my life, regardless of the circumstances I've walked through. Now, like I said, in a room this large, somebody here is going through a tough, tough battle. All of us at at times in life go through tough battles. We go through uh, even the battle of just trying to serve Jesus when we're bored or whatever that looks like. But we, we all are walking through something, and this prayer has given me great peace not just in my mind, but peace that pervades and even passes understanding in my life. Now, I want to break this down simply because I see five themes here that I think are really the key to understanding your relationship with God, my relationship with God. Now, disclaimer, I got through two of them in first service. We're probably not finishing today. If you're nice, maybe we get through three, right? But it's all up to you. I don't know how this crowd's going to be today. It's a partnership we have here, right? If you laugh at my jokes, sermon goes faster. Do not laugh. I have to tell more. Right? It's just how it goes. Thank you. <laughs> you know, for me, really, I don't care if they're fake. I actually still feel the same. The emotional, yes, the emotional uh, takeaway is the same. All right, jumping in here. How do we beat worry? How do we beat anxiety? Jesus says, this is how the prayer starts. Father, may your name be kept holy. Father, may your name be kept holy. Now, this to me, was not immediately accessible. When I hear this terminology, I'm like, what does it mean? You know, I don't don't understand. I didn't understand. And I had to research this and look into it. And what it means and what these nice Jewish young men that Jesus would have been telling this to would have understood. They would have understood this, this kind of terminology when the word holy means to be set apart. The word holy means to be set apart for sacred purpose or use. And so when Jesus says, Father, may your name be kept holy, he's saying, God, my prayer is that we would see that you are in a category all by yourself. That we start this prayer with recognition that if you're shopping for God on Amazon, you don't find him in a drop-down menu. He isn't in a a subcategory. He is a category. He's he's above and beyond it all. Now, I don't believe you're going to find God on Amazon. You could find some good Kindle books and like cheap toilet paper, but that's about it. But if we're searching for God, yeah, thanks. No more fake laughs, though, especially front row. <laughs> These guys down here are really giving it to me, you know. Okay. 
Jesus is saying, Father, may your name be kept holy. May I recognize that you are the only thing worth the pursuit of my life. May I see that you are number one. May I see that you are supreme, that you are ultimate, that you are the only valuable pursuit in life. Father, let your name be kept holy, set apart. That's what this is saying. Now, how, here's how I pray this. We can put this first point up. Father, be first in my life. Father, as I wake this morning, as I, as I come before you with my fears and failures in my hands, I pray that I would see that it's not about me, it's about you, and you are the ultimate thing in life. Well, Pastor Jake, what does this have to do with beating worry? When God occupies the supreme place in your life and a, his, and a vision of God and his beauty and majesty and goodness fills the horizon of your vision, worry can't live in that same spot. Do you know the antidote to almost everything in life is worship? What, what do I do with my addictions? What do I do with my pride? What do I do with my lust, my greed, my, this, this war that's taking place on the inside of me? Fall more in love with who, he that is supreme above all things. Get a vision of God that fills your horizon. Come on. C.S. Lewis said this, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. The very beginning of this prayer is just paradigmatic. It shifts everything. Jesus gives us these words, Lord, may your name be kept holy, or as I like to pray it, Father, be first in my life, and listen what this does. It reorients, it recalibrates my heart to that which is truly important, that which is truly worthwhile, God himself. Now listen how fear and faith work as polar opposites. You know, fear and faith or worry and prayer, they're kind of the same thing, but in opposite directions. When I'm living in fear, what I'm doing is I'm taking a future potential reality and I'm taking the negativity of that event or moment or that which I fear and I'm bringing it into my present and letting it be my, my cup, my meditation. Faith does the same thing, but in a positive way. Faith says, I'm going to look to the promises of God, the goodness of God. I'm going to look to the prophetic God-ordained future of my life. Not the, not the person that I experience right now who's still fighting and struggling against sin, can't seem to, can't seem to do what's right, but I'm looking forward to, to resurrection. I'm looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises, and I'm taking from the future, a I'm taking a withdrawal from that account, and I'm now beginning in the present live that out, and that is my cup. That's the difference between faith and fear. So do you see why worry and prayer are juxtaposed like this? Because when I'm in worry, what I'm doing is I'm saying, God, instead of you occupying the place of ultimacy, supremacy, filling my horizon, I'm going to worry about something, whatever it may be, big or small. And it doesn't have to just be one thing. It might be a bunch of different things in a big suitcase of worry. And I'm going to let that come and live right now in my vision. I'm going to let that be the thing that occupies me. And let me just tell you, the scripture doesn't say, try not to worry. Try not to be anxious. The Bible in many different ways and places and, and shapes and sizes, says, don't do this thing. Do not worry. Look, look what Paul says in Philippians. Don't worry about anything. He doesn't say try. He doesn't say, do your best. He says, don't do that. Why? Because ultimately, worry becomes a rival God. Ultimately, worry becomes a rival to the attention and the affection and the allegiance of our heart that God is jealous for. 
Because he wants to be seen as enough, and not just enough, but more than enough. And worry says, let me take time out from from seeing who you really are, and I'm going to look at this other worst thing and let it occupy me and consume me, rather than be consumed with you. So this is number one, a mind, a heart that recognizes the supremacy and the worth of God. Father, may your name be kept holy. When I pray this daily, I pray it this way. Father, I pray you'd be first in my life, and God, I pray you would help my little brain not be tricked that anything is worth more than you. And so God, I pray that today in every way, starting with me and my, my world, just Jake Schmelzer, what I'm dealing with today and who I am, that I would worship you and see you and just get a glimpse of you today. Be first in my life, Father. Father, be first in my marriage. Father, be first as I'm a parent. Don't let me lose sight of you, the light of your goodness and, and shining onto everything you've given to me. Don't let me think that anything's more important. God, let me always have the, the compass of my heart aligned to true north. The object of your worship sets the trajectory of your behavior. The object of your worship sets the direction of your behavior. Sometimes we don't even know what we're worshiping, but we're pulled from the left to the right. And when we get a vision of God and we say, be first, this is tremendously reorienting. As we get reoriented to God, the next part becomes so vivid and powerful. Jesus says the next part is this. Let your kingdom come. Now again, this is probably something much more accessible to first century Jewish young men that are hearing this for the first time. So Jesus is giving it to them in their context. We are Americans, or at least most of us here are Americans, and we're, uh, there might be some Canadians that have snuck in illegally into the nation or something. But anyways, we forgive you, but you need to go home and eat your you know, weird fries that you eat and stuff like that and ketchup chips. But we love you, but anyways, um, just having fun. Okay. Except for, no, we have a dear Canadian sister that comes to church here, so you're welcome. You know, yes, 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 there you are. You're very welcome here. Okay. Anyways, um, I don't know why I was telling bad jokes poorly. Okay, let me go back to this. So, yes, this is not accessible to us because we live in a democratic republic. So we vote for our leaders. We, we have choice. As Americans, we, we really prize freedom and, you know, all these kinds of things and, and our rights. And so we do not live in a kingdom, um, but... Jesus' disciples, and for most of history, in most places, they do, whether they call it a king or whatever, or if it's a dictator, there is somebody who's just in charge, and that's how it is. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so this prayer, this is what this prayer is doing. It's saying, I see that you are a king, and I'm asking that your kingdom would come, and my world would look like your world. Because here's, here's what a king a kingdom is all about. A kingdom is all about a rule and a reign, and it's where the will of the sovereign is done. And when the will of the sovereign is not done, there is enforcement that goes against whatever violation of that will has occurred. And so when we pray this prayer, it's actually kind of dangerous because this is a prayer of allegiance. You know, we, we do, we pledge allegiance to the flag, United States of America. This prayer right here is like, I pledge allegiance not to a flag, not to ideals, to an individual. Your kingdom, and what is at the back of a kingdom, or what is at the top or the center, is a king. So we're saying, let your kingdom, in other words, your rule, your reign, the way you want to do things, the way you think about things, your laws, your vision of life, let that come in me. It's not a vote. It's not a choice. It's not something we take on or off. When we pray, let your kingdom come, we're inviting the lordship of God into every aspect of our life. So I'm saying, King Jesus, 
as I've had a vision, I see you are supreme. I'm, now I'm asking that I would be subject to you. I'm asking that around me, the lordship of Jesus would be evident, that I don't put my agenda, my will, my way, the things that I want to do, even my sins, my temptations, the, the things that pull me away from worshiping you, like let those things be subjugated to your will, to your kingdom. It's fascinating to me because we live in a time in which people are openly upset about what they would consider to be the demands of Christianity. And make no mistake about it, Christianity is a religion of kingdom, not options. Jesus is exclusively the truth, the way, the life, and there is no way to the Father but through him. This is not the language of democracy, this is the language of kingdom. This is the, this is the language of totalitarian good. Here's the thing about a kingdom. If you have a king who is ruthless, who, who, who abuses, who rapes and pillages the, the goods of, of the people and, and, and takes that position of power and is over them and domineering and dominating, then you hate that kingdom, right? But there's actually a social contract between a king and his people that in a good kingdom, the king is saying, if you will pay homage to me, if you will come under my authority, you will also sit under the umbrella, the protection of my goodness, my protection, my provision, and my vision for your flourishing. And when we, when we look at ourselves in our culture, we go, well, I'm so free, but I have no peace. And what we are called to do as kingdom believers is to give up our will, our way, our freedom, so to speak, to be allegiant to a new king sitting on his throne, the King Jesus sitting on the throne of the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the paradox of this. We live in a culture that says, well, I want to be free. So, you know, nobody's going to tell me who I can have sex with. Nobody's going to tell me what I can do with my gender. Nobody's going to tell me, nobody's going to tell me that my politics should be influenced by, by my religion. In fact, we're against that. Nobody's going to tell me that I'm not allowed to hate this person that screwed me over 10 years ago. And that nobody's going to tell me that I have to forgive. And we put a middle finger up to the king that's sitting on a throne. But I want to tell you about the king of the kingdom of heaven. The king of the kingdom of heaven bled on a cross for you and me. And he said, yes, I am king and it will have no other way. You will have no other gods before me. There will be no other allegiance. There will be no mixture. You will be loyal to this kingdom. You will give your life to this kingdom. But let me tell you something, everybody. When you bow your knee and you say, Jesus, I'll humble myself to you and I'll take on your lordship and I'll be part of your kingdom and I will give allegiance to you. He puts his hand on you. He takes the sword of the spirit and he knights you both on both shoulders and he says, rise Son, rise, daughter. I'm going to set you free from darkness and the slavery of sin, and I'm going to make you a free citizen of a new kingdom. I'm going to make you a free citizen of a new identity. The metaphors and analogies we have about being a Christian are absolutely astounding. You are brought into a new kingdom and given citizenship, and you are now free to move about the cabin as you so please, right? Isn't it interesting isn't it interesting that in the world we go, well, I don't want Jesus because I'm free. I'm free. I don't want a Lord. I don't want a king. You know, as a human being, you're made to worship and you will worship and you are worshiping now. As a human being, you are made to serve. You're made to worship someone, to give allegiance to someone or something. And so whether you have given your allegiance to Jesus, you are giving your allegiance to something. It's crazy to me that people are like, I'm so free. Let me run down to the pharmacy and get my nine antidepressants. 
so I can cope with anxiety. Freedom! I'm so free, but I can't stop looking at porn. I'm so free, but I can't stop drinking. I'm so free, but I can't stop pursuing relationships. Fill in the blanks. Let me just tell you right now, outside of Christ, you aren't free. You're a slave to sin. The scripture says you are a slave. You just have an emperor over your life that whether you recognize it or not, hates your guts and wants to take you to eternity without Christ. Who gets jollies by bringing you down as much as possible. And you go, well, that's my freedom. I'm, I'm king of my life. No, you're not. You serve Satan. You're just deceived. You're confused. And I want to tell you about the love of God who invites you, yes, to bow your knee and surrender your life to Jesus but who wants to set you free actually, because it says in the scripture, whom the son sets free is free indeed. But it's about recognizing that there is a God and he does sit on a throne and we're not time plus slime plus chance. And the universe didn't come from nothing. And the person that created the universe and owns everything and is in charge and has set ethics and rules and morality and laws of logic and laws of science, and these are irrefutable and irreducible. And that individual, God, gets to set the rules. And human beings from the very beginning have said, well, I could be God. No, you can't. You're just either a slave, a love slave, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, set free, redeemed, love, brought into the family of God, given a place at the table and a place in the family business, or you're a slave to sin. The choice is yours. What does this have to do with prayer? Everything. Because Jesus says in your prayer, you recognize that which is real and align yourself to it. What does this have to do with peace and worry? How do we beat worry? When we talk about kingdom, it has everything to do with authority. Because when you're in the kingdom of heaven and the king of peace, Jesus, is over you, his protection and provision is over your life. And nothing can come and assault you. Like you now have that kingdom authority over your life. In history, there was something known as the Pax Romana. And the Pax Romana is the Roman peace. And there was a period of time where the Roman Empire had become established and the power was sort of absolute, at least over the Mediterranean world. And a citizen of Rome could travel from uh, the far east over as far as England, uh, Roman province there. And you could, you could go with, with, a, without, or with minimal fear of being robbed, assaulted. You had a coin uh, that you could use to trade to buy and sell goods. You could basically live a nice life in this period of history that had otherwise been marked by violence and warfare and all this kind of thing because of the Roman peace, that there was a kingdom sort of in place and ruling. And here's the deal. Many people want the Pax Romana, but they don't want Rome. Now, I'm not saying Rome is God. I'm not saying a a human government stands in for God. I'm using this uh, uh, as an analogy to understand that many people want the peace of the kingdom of heaven, but they don't want the king of the kingdom of heaven. And you don't get one without the other. There's a song that I I love, uh, came out when I was a teenager. He said, I know I have peace because I've carried the sword. And it's a reference to some some concepts. But where does our peace come from? Our peace comes from the payment of Christ who disarmed the principalities and powers and the accusers against us. Our peace comes because we have a God of war. War against humans? No, war against Satan. We have a God who is stronger. The he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And as we submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to this kingdom, we experience this kingdom's peace. We walk now in the Pax Romana. This is why it's sad to me that as Christians, many Christians do not enjoy the benefits of the kingdom that they've actually paid allegiance to. You know, 
Does it ever bother you if you find out you've been paying for a service or something that you're not using? Anybody else? I don't care how wealthy you are, well off. Like if you find out you've been paying for something and you weren't getting it, that's irritating. Do you ever go through this thing in your life where you're like, I need to find out what I'm subscribed to? You know what I mean? And just, you start just getting out of everything. It would be sad as a believer to not walk and live your life in God's peace that passes all understanding in both your heart and your mind just because you're not, you're not walking in it when you're part of this kingdom. So hopefully if you're a believer, if you're part of God's kingdom and you're surrendered to Christ, I want to invite you into a new place of peace. And you go, well, how do I, how do I like get that? You know, police officers, they carry a, a badge, which should be enough, but they also have to carry a gun because sometimes people don't honor the badge. The Bible actually has a couple different words for authority or the Greek language. There's one called exousia, means authority. Then there's dunamis, which is dynamite or power. So why do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? Why not just the authority of being a Christian? Because sometimes you got to show the badge, and if that's not enough, you got to pull out a gun and say, you are going to obey this, right? And you go, what does that mean? A, a spiritual gun? You know, we actually, we have them in the back here. I'm going to pull them out for everybody. No, we don't have those. <laughs> but here's what we do have. Hey, I'm in prayer right now. I'm, I'm with you, Lord, and I, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling worried. My heart is troubled. But Lord, your kingdom come. Jesus, I can't control the world around me, but I, I thank you that you have given me peace of heart and mind. And right now I'm asking, I'm tapping into that, and I come against the enemy. I come against any thought. I take it captive for Christ because I am a child of God. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and peace is my portion. Peace that passes all understanding in Jesus' name. And you enact it. You, you authorize it. You, you are authoritative in that prayer. So we're going to finish up there. I, you weren't, I guess you were nice enough, but I talked too much, so we won't be able to get through all five. But as we approach God in prayer, as we, we have a prayer life, these prayers are not the, it's not the words that give it power. It's this space of saying, God, you're ultimate. So many days I never pray beyond this. Father, be first. Because sometimes when I pray, Father, be first, he reveals to me, well, there's a rival. You actually want this other thing more. You actually are praying, Father, be first, but you really want him third. Because really what you'd rather have is that job promotion or what I'd rather have is that relationship or I'd rather have somebody give me kudos for something I did or whatever. And I got to go, okay, heart, mind, soul, spirit. He's first. He's supreme. He's it. He's ultimate. And then from that place, I say, now let your kingdom come. And I pledge allegiance to the king that died for me. I pledge allegiance to this kingdom. I am not an American before I'm a Christian. I am not a husband before I am a Christian. I am not a father. I am not an employee. I'm not a friend. I'm not a pastor before I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus. That's my first, my foremost allegiance. Amen? Let your kingdom come. Christians, you know, oftentimes the world gets a little bit upset at us because sometimes we would like the kingdom of God to come in the world around us, but we want it to come around us more than we want it to come inside of us. Sometimes we're like, well, you know, all the homosexuals and the, you know, people live in fornicators and the 
you know, whatever side of the political spectrum you find to be more unrighteous, I'd say they're both fairly unrighteous or all of them are unrighteous. The Democrats need to come or the Republicans need to do this or whatever. I've come to realize that there is um, a lot more work that God needs to do in me before he can use me to make a difference in the world around me. And I'm not saying that means like become a monk and don't ever do any ministry or serve or like share your faith. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying in my prayer, in my inner life, in my, in my devotion with the Lord, I'm saying your kingdom come first in me. And as heaven is birthed in me, then I can be, be a difference maker and influencer in the world around me. But I'm not going to be praying a lot harder and a lot more, you know, a, a lot stronger for the world around me to come into alignment with God's kingdom. It needs to happen first in me. So Lord, let, let my world look like your world, starting from the inside and moving out. Okay, we'll go into the next ones. Uh, not next week, because I will not be here next week, but we will go into the next ones at some point in the future. I'm going to talk about provide for me, but don't depart from me. Forgive me, make me a forgiver, and change my heart to want what you want. And uh, we'll get to that. I hope, I hope these first two can at least be something that begins to change your perspective of prayer. And I want to be clear, this will deliver you from worry. You, you, you can't worship God and have him be the supreme thing in your heart, mind, focus, and, and live a life of worry and fear. Like, they're not compatible. They don't exist yeah. together. You, you can't invite the kingdom of God to play a bigger role in your life. You can't invite God to take lordship in your life and begin to actually surrender and obey what he says to you and not begin to see the fruit of the kingdom take place. This is what I love about this. The scripture didn't say, don't worry, pray about everything, thank God, and then you might experience, you will. I like things like that. You know, you will experience God's peace. You will experience the peace that goes beyond understanding, the peace that guards your hearts and guards your minds in Christ Jesus. That's our prayer. That's our life. That is the kingdom of God made manifest in us. So we're going to stop there. This morning, if you'd bow your head and close your eyes, I want to give an opportunity. You know, as we talk about kingdoms, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus was walking around on planet earth, he didn't take altar calls and tell people to pray a little prayer. He actually talked about allegiance and he talked about changing teams. He said, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's an open invitation for any one of us to go, I, I want to be in that kingdom. I want to bow my knee to Jesus. And this isn't just a matter of believing things in your head. It's about saying with the inner part of me that chooses to love, to worship, to serve, with everything I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change sides. I'm going to give my allegiance to a new king. I'm going to bow my knee. And I want to give you an opportunity today, if you're here and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to bow my knee to Jesus. I want to receive him as Lord. I, I want him to be in charge of me, like to pray what Thomas, the doubting disciple, said, this is the Lord of me, the God of me. Like, I'm all in with Jesus. If you're here today and, and you need to be saved from your sins, you need to be delivered from the kingdom of this world, and you want to give your life to Jesus, would you raise your hand so I can see? Awesome, awesome, thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Come on, anybody else? Raise them up. We're not looking around, not to embarrass you. Awesome, awesome. This is a step of faith, pledging your life. Thank you, so cool. Thank you, awesome. People all over the room, so cool. 
we're going to pray together. And if you're already a Christian and you're already part of the kingdom of God, what a great time to renew your vows. (laughs) Jesus, I'm in. I belong to you. I'm in your kingdom. Let's pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my heart my life. Every part. I receive you as Lord of my life and as my Savior. Thank you for the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I receive you today. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.